Welcome to the event. LinkedIn has really changed in the last few months. Um, we have this really cool window where carousels were doing super, super well. We all jumped on that bandwagon and took it as far as it could go. And recently you would have seen that bandwagon is probably not working as well as it was. Same thing happened with polls last year. You know, they were like such a popular thing. It was getting us so much views and we all went there and we used up polls. I remember you, Richard, you were like, oh, I'm so over this overuse of carousels, overuse of polls. Um, so really keen to kind of understand how do we like, you know, continue to grow when things keep changing and hear from you about, you know, where are you changing? Do you kind of like listen to the algorithm all the time? You know, because you're the god of LinkedIn algorithm. So really, really keen to get into it. So to kick it off, I want to know how you've grown so fast, Richard. How have you managed to continue to grow so rapidly while things keep changing? Yeah, I think you mentioned about my followers, no? Because that, that, that question I get a lot. Uh, and indeed, I managed to get like... I don't know for sure, but I think it's about 60,000 followers last year in, in the last 12 months. Uh, I've been on LinkedIn since 2005. Uh, and I remember two years ago, I had about 18, 19,000 followers. So it, mm -hmm. it really skyrocketed the last two years. Um, I think there are several things. Um, do I adapt my content strategy every time to the change in the algorithm? No, no, definitely not because it's impossible. Uh, it's impossible. Do I keep an eye on the algorithm? Yes, uh, of course. Uh, I mean, um, I've made a lot of carousels over the past two years. Uh, I'm very happy to have uh, Noyesa in my team. She's making my carousels uh, um, and they, they were really good for my exposure. I've seen that we have reached the peak of views and engagement from carousels. They're going down, actually. I think it's minus 25, minus 30% compared to last year, uh, which... This happens all the time in the algorithm. I remember when videos became like the next thing on LinkedIn. I'm talking about four or five years ago, everybody jumped on video. And I think three out of 10 posts in our feed was about video. And that also like lasted for one and a half year. And then like they became less. Um, I think I've done two things. I have stepped up the frequency of my content. So um, before, let's say one and a half year, I would post whenever I felt I had something to share. And that mm -hmm. could be like two times a week, three times a week, could even be five or six times a week. And then I sat down and I thought about my content strategy. I took uh, two of my ideal client profiles, which for me is always like T-level, director-level marketing on the one side and C-level, uh, director-level on sales on the other side. So those are my two ideal client profiles. And what I did, I sat down and I did like, okay, what are their challenges with regards to LinkedIn and, and for what kind of goals do they want to leverage LinkedIn? So why does marketing want to leverage LinkedIn? Obviously brand awareness to boost the campaign and the same for sales, lead generation, strength of relationship with existing customers and so on and so on. And then I started to have like five content pillars for each ideal client profile. And then I just started to like spit ideas. I had a list of like, I think maybe, I don't recall, 60, 70 IDs. Um, 
And from that moment on, I have been managing to publish consistently five, six times a week. So it's still not on once a day, but it's there five, six times a week. And um, I've also had an eye on, and I think many people forget this, I, I'm very aware of the analytics. So I really like that LinkedIn has stepped up their game on analytics, mm-hmm. but I'm a Shield user already like for four or five years. So, and I'm really looking like, okay, what kind of content is performing well? What kind of topics are performing well? So it's actually a matrix. So you have, you have like, you have like, the format of contents on this axe, and then like the, the amount of engagement on this axe, and you can see all the topics. So I was able to identify what kind of topics in which kind of format were performing well. And this is simply what I multiplied. So for mm. example, if I've seen over the past year that a carousel is performing well, and that especially, for example, all the topics with regards to growing your business lead generation were performing well, then I would multiply that. If I saw that, but for example, Sales Navigator as a topic was less reach, less engagement, I did a bit less of that type of content. So that, that's basically what I changed um, fundamentally. Wow. So just to give everyone an insight into last time I interviewed Richard on my podcast about 12 months ago, exactly. I think Richard was sitting at 40,000 followers, you know, so and he had been in the game for a really, really long time. Like we're talking 10 years and I was learning about his journey, but to climb from that, and I was like super excited to interview him at 40,000, you know, followers and understand where he's at. But having watched him grow, like the way that I've watched him in 12 months to reach the 100,000 number, you know, it's like a really, really big change. So, and I see your content matrix, Richard, like it's really solid. Like I see the post, it's like you really are thinking about now just thought, pure thought leadership and really going and nailing in and being like pretty nitty gritty with what you're sharing. Um, so you're sitting there with all those ideas are coming to you. So you're looking through your ICP and you're thinking, this is my ideal client and this is all their pain points that they're potentially struggling with. And then you're again, then overlaying that with data for the last 12 months to see what actually hit. So not just hey, I'm going to come up with all these questions and then I'm just going to go and create content. No, then you overlay data and then verify those ideas and filter that way. I, yeah, and, and maybe even more important to mention, I've also stopped doing things. Mm. Like I stopped making updates of every new feature that LinkedIn will launch for two reasons. First reason, because there are literally a thousand people more than 1,000 LinkedIn experts worldwide, very good people to follow who will jump on that wagon much quicker than I could do because I'm, a, I, I'm very busy. So I see any feature Monday, I think, okay, I need to create a post. And on Friday, I still haven't done it. And then I open my feed and like there are like literally like hundreds of people talking about the feature. So for me, like all new features, it's not like a distinctive element anymore from my, from my content perspective. So I'm not doing it anymore. Also, I've got out all the topics um, that are LinkedIn related that I used to publish about that are not belong to my ICPs. For example, you will not see me publishing any content anymore about LinkedIn for job seekers, LinkedIn for, uh, I don't know, uh, recruitment. I'm not doing that because that, that's not my ideal client profile. Whereas two years ago, all the things that were new on LinkedIn, I would create a post. Okay. So 
I think one of the main things, if we talk about drilling down or focusing on your target audience is that for me, it's better to have four posts aimed at weekly posts aimed at my marketing sales specs than to have seven posts that are all about LinkedIn. So I have chosen two topics. You mentioned one. One topic that I'm really like um, enthusiastic about is, is thought leadership. So how can you use LinkedIn to stand out in your niche, in your industry? And the second one is social selling lead generation, okay? Then sometimes when I say to these people, like those are my two topics, they say, no, 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 because we know you from the algorithm. But algorithm on itself, it's not a topic. I use the algorithm to make sure that my content as a thought leader stands out. I use the insight in the algorithm to train all our sales clients to get like three, four times more engagement on their posts. So the algorithm is a tool that I use to boost my two topics, which is thought leadership and lead generation. And I see many, many entrepreneurs and many people on LinkedIn that are, in my opinion, are posting like on a, on a, on a spectrum that is too broad. So I cannot recognize you because today you're talking about the weather, tomorrow you're talking about marketing, and the day next you're talking about ChatGPT, for example. If we talk about followers, and you probably know this, Melanie, um, I still get sometimes, like I created a post about 100,000 followers, okay? So let, let's get this out of the way. I created a post to celebrate 100,000 followers. And I got some very nasty uh, comments about that. Yeah, yeah, I did. So because people do not allow you to celebrate any success because they say it's a vanity metric. Right. I couldn't, I couldn't disagree more. First of all, I think every entrepreneur should celebrate successes. And if you think that 100,000 followers is a success, then you should celebrate it. I, I don't care about the haters, no? Mm. But... Getting 100,000 followers for me is an indication that my content resonates with the audience on LinkedIn. I mean, you will not get 100,000 followers if people think, if, if they don't take any value from your content. So for me, it was like, thank you very much. I really appreciate that you follow me because that's one of the reasons why I create content. That's one of the reasons why I put effort in it. But it's also an indication. Um, and do I see impact? Of course I do. Because as we all probably know, if you launch a post, LinkedIn takes a specific percentage of your communities and will launch it to these people. So the bigger your community is, and if you talk to Justin Wells, for example, he will like confirm this, the bigger your community is, the, the more kickstart you get for each post. So I've seen like my reach compared to last year when I had 40,000 followers, I've seen it doubled. Right. So after one hour, I have now on average, first hour, I get on average five, 6,000 views. Whereas last year, I would 1,500, 2,000 views. Okay. So it's about quality for sure. But the quantity of a large community, large follower base will certainly help. Got it. Yeah. I was going to ask you that, that, you know, with your followership, are you seeing the boost in views naturally? Because when you're like at a 2,000 followers and um, when you're starting out, LinkedIn actually gives you a huge amount of reach, I feel. It actually gives you 2,000 views most of the times because it's actually showing it to all your network if you do, you know, pretty okay content. A lot more than once you hit, you know, your 10, 20, 30, 40. You, you, it's like almost it reduces, right, that um, it doesn't give you the same. It doesn't give you 100,000 every time you post as it does for 2,000. So I was wondering whether you see that because 
we've seen, you know, other influencers and other gurus like Tasleem commenting recently saying, you know, it doesn't matter how big your followers are, you're kind of as good as your last post because isn't LinkedIn kind of looking at how well your last post went to see how much, you know, um, they give you that boost on your next post? Is that true? That, you know, your followership doesn't then add to... I, I Well, I value, I, I value Taslim his insights. I think he, he has done also a great job over the last year. I really like his carousels. I like his uh, provocative way of uh, trying to debunk myths. He has a very strong opinion, and I like people that have a very strong opinion. Um, I don't always agree, but it's good to have an opinion. You know, uh, the world is like much a better place with people having an opinion. But um, it's not your last post. It's not because that would be silly. No, you have like three, four awesome posts. You get a lot of views. Then you make a mistake. You have a, a shitty post, and then your next reach would tumble down. It's not as harsh as that. But LinkedIn does look over a last period which is not clearly defined, but I, my idea is like they look at your last 10 to 15 posts and if they see an increase in engagement, they will give you also more, more, more reach at the start. If they see that your last post, let's say four or five posts are getting less reach, they will probably give you less reach for your upcoming posts as well. So um, it's maybe not you're as good as the last post, but you're definitely as good as your last post of the last two weeks, something like that. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So we're going to... One of the questions I got, Melanie. Yes. One of the questions I got, and I want to mention this because there's a lot of um, misunderstanding. I received a lot of messages, maybe you also, because I know you, you're guiding a lot of LinkedIn people as well. Um, many people have written me that if they turn on creator mode, they get less reach. Many people. Right. They say, I've turned on create. Yeah, I've turned on creator mode. And my views have like tumbled down, like it's almost half. There is a reason. And I don't know if everybody knows it. If you have creator mode off, disabled, and you publish content on LinkedIn, LinkedIn is going to prioritize your connections. That's your main community. Okay. Now in your connections, probably you have your like ambassadors, you know, the people that always, always, always about to like or comment. They are there and they get to see your content. So you get engagement and this reaches to a certain amount of views. Now, what happens if you switch on creator mode? Now, instead of prioritizing only your connection, LinkedIn is also going to use a part of the first batch to reach your followers. So for example, if normally your content would be shared in the first 10 minutes with 500 connections and there are your heavy engagers, now they are sharing it with 200 connections and 300 followers. Now, if these followers are less Engaging. I mean, they are reading your content, but they are not liking, engaging, or commenting. Then you see it. Then you see a, a decrease in views because they are less engaging, which means they bring less additional audience. That's the only reason why some people see that if they switch on creator mode, they get less reach because it like switches part of your audience coming from your connections with followers, and they can be less engaging. Wow, yeah. I I'm a it. huge fan, by the way. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Creator Mode. Huge fan. Yes. Um, yes. Because that's one of the reasons why I've built my followers, to have this button follow on your profile instead of connect. Yeah. I um, mean, I always but, recommend go Creator Mode. I mean, you get so much advantage and features straight away um, from, I, I think you, I don't even know if you get the feature post section the same way if you're not Creator Mode. I'm not sure like how it your whole profile looks and feels 
is completely, you know, changed from a branding and profiling perspective. So that's really, that's a really interesting share. We would love to hear from all of you about what your biggest challenge is in content. So I've got this little poll that I prepared earlier that, um, sorry, it's got like a C, which is meant to be a question mark, but what is your biggest challenge, all of you listening in, um, with creating, you know, content with thought leadership content? So you should see a poll on the screen. Would love to see where you, um, where you sit. Is that come up for you as well, Richard, that you can see the... Yeah, I voted. Okay. I voted. So you can't see the results? Only I can see the results then until I end the poll? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So right now, most people are all going for they lack time at 39% and um, a really high rating again as LinkedIn algorithm is not working in my favor as their second challenge. And anyone else is commenting what they're struggling with. So we've got, I lack focus, but I get no response. I'm creating great content, but I'm not getting any, I'm not getting any results. So what, what, what do you suggest? I'll just end the poll soon. That's it. Okay. I'm sharing the results with all of you. So looking at this, like where the struggle time is, Mm. you know, when, when, you know, Mm. when you start out and it's like really, really hard because no one is commenting and you're thinking you're doing really, really great work and you're thinking I'm doing such great stuff but no one's interacting what's you know what's your advice mm-hmm. on that well first of all it's, it's a great poll um I like I voted I like time and I'm very happy again that I have helped with Nayesa who is like I literally write my post and then she does a design um but lack time obviously um and lack lack time is a feeling that many people have if they don't see results. I mean, if you know that every post, for example, would bring you one new lead, it's a no-brainer that you would make more time to create content. But lack time is most of the time because people don't see a direct result, and then it becomes like, okay, I need to post, but I'm not I, I'm not convinced that it will bring me anything. Now, lack of confidence, there's only one solution. Go out there, publish content, start commenting, and get feedback from your audience, okay? Because um, LinkedIn is not a platform where you need to do anything, uh, okay? I heard that once, like, LinkedIn is a business platform. You cannot make any mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes. And in all fairness, I think I learned more from my mistakes, from posts that don't resonate, from things I've done in the past that brought me, like, bad experience instead of learning from your, from your, from your um, best shot. Now, LinkedIn algo is not working in my favor. With all the respect, that's not the reason. It's not the LinkedIn algo. If you say LinkedIn algo is not working in my favor and I'm supposed to be, like you said, the LinkedIn algo god, which I am not, but it's not the LinkedIn algo. It's your audience that is not resonating because the algo responds to the audience. The audience doesn't resonate. If they do not engage, then you get less views. You can blame it on the algo, but it's your audience. Okay. So that's, I'm sorry to be the bad messenger here, but that's true. Um, and there is a reason why my feet and probably many feeds are now filled, flooded with posts about, and they're all good. Don't get me wrong. They're all very good. How to write the best hook, how to write the best first three sentences, how to structure your post, how to get the most conversion, because it's almost psychological, like how do people read a post? 
And it's true. If your hook, meaning the first three lines, are dull, boring, non-triggering, people will scroll like directly uh, to the next post. So for all those who have commented, the algo is not in favor, okay, you need to analyze your process and think about how am I publishing content on LinkedIn? First of all, is it visually appealing? Okay, because one of the things why Carousel are like doing very well is because they all have very appealing visuals. The first page on a Carousel, obviously, a lot of content creators, they have awesome first pages. Okay, so appealing. It needs to be a scroll stopper, okay? And sometimes I stumble up a very cool post uh, with a very great message, but it was like, I almost stumbled on it by accident because the visual was not appealing. So I could have scrolled past it. So the first visual, then the hook is very important. You need to trigger your audience. I've read that in 0.3 seconds, 0.3 seconds, our brain decides whether we want to read something, yes or no. So if your hook is not right, your post, people will not click on see more. People will not go through your carousel because it's not triggering. So you need to write for your audience, knowing how they examine and how they are scrolling through a feed. That's the most important part. I really I don't, I don't know if you agree, Melanie. No, I absolutely do. And I'm going to share some of my thought leadership exactly on that piece because there's so many people that have joined in. I really want to summarize what we have covered thus far about how Richard has grown from like 40K to 100K, like where we sit here today. Like I've interviewed him like sort of 12 months ago. And what we covered is your ICP is super, super important to define your ideal client profile. So literally picking up two profiles on LinkedIn, like real profiles and looking at them and then thinking through what are their pain points? What do these people want to know about? Writing those hooks down. Then actually on top of that, you need to filter. You don't write every idea that you have now come up with. What you do is you go in and you look at your results and your past performance. This is something I think Richard said that he really changed. You look at your analytics and you overlay that and you look at what's actually worked in the past and you filter out those ideas going well, that's never really worked for me, even though I've come up with ideas. So it's great to write down all your ideas. I think it's really important as they come to you as thought leaders to put it down, but then having a really good filter. And this is something that I'm becoming really, really strict with now with my clients is you must, I'm going to filter the hell out of what you're submitting. In the past, 12 months ago, all my clients would just be like, drop your thoughts. That's really good. You're doing a really good job. You're sharing your thoughts. And there was like, just no filter would just be like, yeah, we're all building personal brand. And it worked because on LinkedIn, there just wasn't that much creators there. And you could just really go out there and do personal branding. You could do whatever, and it would just work. And you just have a nice enough image. It doesn't work anymore, guys. Like it's a much, it's getting a much more crucial game. And that's why we're really telling you that have a structure of your ideas and then use a filter point, have a really strong filter as to whether that idea moves actually into production any further than just an idea. And I've seen Richard talk about it. I've heard Justin Welsh even share that that he's got all these ideas that they're putting in normally, you know, but all those ideas do not go to production. So it's, I really also believe it's not the algorithm that's not working for you. I think you can use the algorithm in your favor, you know, to get the right type of 
um, style of content that might do a little bit better, but it's your content's not deep enough. Sorry to say, but it is just the fact your content's not hitting anymore. It might have hit last year, but it's not hitting anymore. So you've got to work back on your content strategy and relook at yourself. Okay. So some of you have said, um, some of you have posed that I just don't know how to be really targeted on my ideal client profile. Like I've seen some of the comments that I want to be really targeted. Like how do you actually find the ICP and be really, so I guess we can share some, you know, what's Richard, what do you think about, you know, it's really hard to be, you know, at the early on as well. You don't want to be too niche and be like, this is my person because you've got this fear. So how do you overcome that fear, I think, and just go, um, go for it and be like, this is my ICP. What sometimes helps, I want to say two things. First thing, what sometimes helps is flipping the process. So you look at your services, your products, your solutions. So for example, if you say, I'm a personal branding specialist, I help people to brand themselves better online, mainly LinkedIn. That's my goal. Then you should look at who are the people who benefit the most, okay, from having a strong personal brand. Okay. Now I can think it can be entrepreneurs because they need to have a strong brand in order to attract clients. It can also be C-level, director level in a company. They need to have strong brand because they need to be like the digital leaders of the company. Second question, who has a budget to pay for your services? That's very important. Like, so if you say I'm a personal branding specialist, I know I'm not the cheapest, but I'm like in the high end, but I deliver like, like an amazing value and it comes with, I don't know, a, a few thousand dollars, then you can already delete like 80% of the entrepreneurs who don't have the budget to work with you. Okay, so if you start to give like little tips, in your content strategy, you might get a lot of followers from entrepreneurs, which is good because they will accelerate your views, but they are not going to pay the bills because they don't have the budget. So then you drill down on C-level, director level, because you probably you know that the company will pay for your services. So sometimes you take your product solutions and you flip the process. You say, okay, who will benefit from it? Okay, who can I... Uh, for who can I provide the quickest my value and who has budget to pay for my things. And then you go to your ICP. If you are working towards companies in a B2B environment, so if your clients are not individuals, but they are companies like ours, okay, we target, like I can say, medium, big enterprises with at least 20 salespeople, for example, that's our ideal customer profile. And... Um, I always work with four layers, four layers of people that I want to contact and that I want to connect with or I want to engage with. So first of all, it's a decision maker. So if I talk from my own experience, our decision makers are like VP marketing, VP sales, C-level sales, C-level marketing. Okay. It would be awesome to uh, see those people inviting me after I publish a post. It would be awesome to get, it's not going to happen because those people are very busy. They have less time on LinkedIn. It's simply a fact. They spend less time on LinkedIn and they get on average five to six emails, pitchy emails a week. So for me to stand out directly to them in like the, 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 the swamp of pitchy emails is very, it's, it's time consuming and I need, I need to find a really good hook. So most of the time I aim for the second layer, which is, which are the influencers. So for example, 
my influencers are sales directors, marketing managers. So if I'm talking to a corporate, I'm not going to aim for C-level, but I'm going to aim for the influencers. Those who would benefit from our knowledge and insights, which means a sales director will become very happy if we can teach him or if we can instruct him how his salespeople can use Sales Navigator. A marketing manager will be very happy if he can sell, say to the CMO, like I've tripled our reach on LinkedIn based on those algorithm lessons from Richard, okay? So I'm using the second layer in order to influence decision makers. Yeah, got it. Now, well, then, you have, then you have a third layer, which I call champions. Champions might be people you already know in the company, but are not necessarily in your vertical. So for example, I know someone in the company that is working at HR, but I want to go, I want to be in contact with marketing. But now I can reach out to the HR person I know and say, hey, imagine I want to reach out to your marketing decision maker. Who would that be? And how could you help me in this like journey towards the CMO? Or if you have sales navigator, you can simply go to your spotlight filters and say, okay, who has published content in the last 30 days? And look for the people within the company that are very active on LinkedIn because they will probably respond to your connection request, they will probably respond to your message and leveraging a relationship with them means a future introduction to your decision maker. So, and the last layer is what I call mirror. This is what I always say to salespeople. If um, you are targeting, for example, a software company as a salesperson, as your potential client, and you are not getting any luck with your decision maker, with your influencers, or you don't find any champions, then simply connect with your mirror, meaning the people that have exactly the same role at your client's company. So start connecting with salespeople from your software company, start leveraging with them, start building a relationship with them because salespeople like to connect with salespeople. Marketing people like to connect with marketing. So simply, I have a software company as a prospect. I'm a salesperson. I start connecting with five, six, seven salespersons from the company just by saying, hey, I'm Richard. I'm in sales. I see you are in sales. Let's connect and share like knowledge about how the way sales is changing. And you get a 90% acceptance uh, rate. So now you have five, six connections within the company. And this is how you start like working your way up in the company. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. A lot of my um, entrepreneur friends, clients are raising money and it's a really tough environment out there. And so when they're producing content for investors, like investors literally never interact, right, with the content. They're just like the super busy type of people and they don't really want to show too much interest because then you'll hit them up and who knows. But in those cases, when you're trying to raise money, but all your commenters are from your founders, right, to help you get that reach to your investors who then then you're warming, would the advice in that case be to continue to connect with investors, but write content for your founders? Or should you be trying to write content for your investors? Because you're trying to build credibility in their, in their mind in a way, right? That you're worthy of investment because you're not trying to get this revenue or sales. You're trying to collect a large sum of funding here. Where, where would you say, you know, that content in your mind should be, you know, generated? Should it be for this, continue to generate content for founders so you can get the view and that interaction back to them? It's, it's a very, it's a very good question because it makes me aware, just, just your question about the investors and founders, it makes me aware that whenever I publish content, 
I make it easily, I make it easy to engage. So there's always an element in the content. It could be that I ask two or three questions at the end of the post. It could be that I have something um, where, well, basically it makes it easy for people to respond because your founders or your ambassadors or your content ambassadors, they will like launch your reach. They will expand your reach. But the, the, the real item of, I think 60% of my content is aimed at my ICP, my target audience. So in that case, I would aim my target at the, uh, I would aim my content at the investors, but I would make sure that, as you call it, founders or ambassadors have something to engage with. So it's, it's a combination actually that you try, that you uh, need to achieve in your posts. Got it. Yeah, got it. So you've got to have two filters almost in that case going, how is this going to appeal to a founder and how is this going to appeal to also an investor? So you've got to really filter that through. Okay. Question. Being like, you know, we've kind of touched on it before, but I really want to get delve a little bit more into it is, you know, you are literally known as the God of LinkedIn algorithm. How much of the algorithm do you take into account when you are creating content? Like, you know, if you're seeing the carousel thing happening, are you shifting, you know, within your three months that, okay, I've got to do a little bit more carousel now? Like, or do you just kind of stick with, no, I, I kind of want to stick with this format because this is what's going to serve the best way to consume this piece of content. Like how much does the algorithm affect your content strategy and how long do you wait for that trend to happen, you know, before you push it into your content strategy? Because I'm guessing you're also batching content. So you can't just like, you know, today algorithm carousels working and tomorrow you're posting carousels. So how do, how do you kind of, you know, take with so much information that's coming to you and push it through to your strategy? I think, first of all, my best advice would be um, if something's working for you, stick with it. So uh, I recently spoke with, with a person. I was just trying to find his name. I, can, I cannot go. I know his first name is Chris, and who was a big fan of polls. Like he had two or three polls a week. And he showed me that polls were his biggest lead generation because he was like king in asking the right question for his ideal customer profiles. He had like answers that were like more or less buying signals, you know, hidden buying yeah. signals. And he had a system to follow up. And he said, every poll brings me about two, three leads. So for me, it wouldn't make sense that if the algorithm decides or that if you get less reach, that you would do less polls because in all fairness, Melanie, it's not about reach. It's even not about engagement. It's about conversion. That's, that's right. why we are publishing content, no? So right. if you ask me, would you rather have a viral post with 1 million views or a post with two like new leads? I would go for the one with two leads. Because, Correct. You know, Correct. That, that's why we are in business. Um, but so first of all, if something's working for you because you have managed to, like, to find a way like, like this, Chris, to use bolts, awesome. I have managed to find a way to publish at least two carousels a week. And I still see that they bring a lot of views, a lot of engagement and a lot of conversion. So I stick with that. But I've also recorded last December, I recorded 20 videos because people told me like, Richard, like video content and your profile is non-existing. And they were right. Yeah. Um, Because um, with my content, normally I have a very high bar of, I'm not very easily satisfied and I feel more comfortable in having like 
a great carousel design or writing than being like on a camera, on a video. But I knew they were right. So I did the video just to see like, okay, what does it do in terms hmm. of feedback, reach, engagement, and conversion? And for me, the conversion I got from my couch talk with Richard was much more than from the average post. So videos, right. while getting less reach, they convert more. On your question, how often do I change? I do not change my, my content strategy very drastically, very often. Hmm. So it's more that it's like something that evolves over the months that I've seen, like if I get like consequently less, less reach on a specific type of post, I eventually will do much less from that and replace it by another post. What doesn't work for me, for example, and this might be my writing, is text posts. So I know a lot of people say text posts is the bomb. It doesn't work for me. And I'm not talking necessarily about reach again. I'm talking about conversion. For me at this moment, what works are carousels, are videos, and sometimes even a poll. Because I'm still doing a poll every month just to also to see what happens. Um, so I, I also think that you should not... Everybody has his preferred way of posting, but just be aware that in your content strategy, you have multi-formats. So you can see what does it do for you. Um, so I include carousels, text posts, obviously text posts with um, uh, a picture. I include bolts, video. I still don't have the carousel. I mean, the real carousel. You know what I'm talking about? The, the beta feature where you can combine yes. videos. Yes, I don't documents. have that feature either. I saw you posted about it, but I've never, ever gotten the, I was so excited. I was like, I can do snips of all the podcasts and put it, you know, in carousel. Exactly. It's so cool. I think they stopped. I think okay. they stopped the rollout because I know, for example, Richard Moore has it like, I think almost half of a year already. Right. And there are more people in my network where sometimes I see it. I think Leah Turner has it as well. Right. But for some reason... It doesn't make sense for, it's like a new format to wait like more than six months to give it to all the members. Yeah. So I don't know if they have stopped the rollout because maybe, but so if that would come uh, to all of us, so if we would all get access to what LinkedIn really calls a carousel post, then probably this will be hyped as well by the algorithm because all new features are always hyped for specific number of months in the algorithm. 100%, 100%. I think, also, my thoughts on this is every individual has their own unique style, like Andy Foote, carousel, Richard, carousel, this image selfie. I think the art is really finding, you know, what is that format for you and what really positions you. Like not everyone is really compelling on video, but I've seen that you can also train yourself to be really great on video. You might think you're not, but you can get trained on it if it's something that you want. So. Some of the framework that I have now started applying and have learned and picked up from other gurus as well. With text posts, I think Richard was saying it doesn't do well for him because I think his content is so dense. You know, it's so long that by the time you're scrolling, like you're already like your attention span is gone. So one of the things I picked up from Jasmine Alec recently on one of my podcasts is if your text post is like, you know, having to scroll past the mobile and go keep going down, convert it into a carousel because, you know, it's just really hard to just keep reading, 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 and then scrolling again. You're just going to lose attention. If you're kind of unsure about a topic and you want it 
kind of know, should you go into it more and really spend time on a carousel or a video, try a poll and see how your audience reacts because it's more quicker and easier to actually do polls. And they end up doing well if you can ask really good questions. My other opinion on video formats is they're great when you can't express it in words. You know, sometimes you really need to just say a concept as you're speaking. It's really hard to actually just lay it out in words. So I think videos are great and they build this connection and this trust. Yeah. Right? Right, Richard? Like it, it, yeah, yeah. people all of a sudden that's, see you. That's what I notice uh, about the feedback. I'm talking about DMs that I'm getting. Uh, so so not, I'm not talking about comments, but DMs. I see a lot of people say like, hey, Richard, it's the first time we see you on video, but I feel like you're like closer. I feel that I'm really like having this conversation with you because they see you. They see you yeah. moving. They see you speak. It's different than if they write, if they read something that you have just written on LinkedIn. Um, I think one of my, my other tips, Melanie, would be if you are not, and, and this works for me as well, if you do not feel comfortable in, in, in publishing a video, make it a very short one, your first. Don't try to do a video of three minutes to start with because you will probably see many things that you really would like to have, uh, that you would really want to do differently. And probably you're not going to publish the video, but if you do a video of 20 seconds, 25 seconds, 30 seconds max, then, you know, you can, you can prepare it. You cannot make many mistakes and just put it out and see the feedback. And it is the same for the carousel. A lot of people say, yeah, R Richard, you have someone publishing your carousel, but I need to do it myself. And I got stuck. And then I asked the question, like, what is it that you want, wanting to show in carousel? And then they come with like, I have those 20 friends. So why 20? I mean, hmm. why, why making it half a second? Just start with a carousel of four, five slides and see how it, how it, so get better at the process, implement the feedback and do it three, four times and you will see that you have a very steep learning curve. I've seen so many people also do carousels and they're putting so much information into each carousel and I, I'm like confused by the end of it because they could have actually just used one of those pages and broken it down as one carousel and let us like really consume it. Like even though your content's really dense, it sticks to the topic that I'm interested in. It gives me the depth on that so I can keep you know, moving, moving through. So um, my final thing is image post when, you know, a text post can be really nicely warmed with an image post. We see a lot of LinkedIn influencers going in and grabbing images to really, again, build connection and trust. So again, if you don't have, if you're lacking time, you don't have the capacity to always, you know, punch out videos or you're just not happy with how it's turning out. And I feel like an image really elevates what you're trying to sometimes say. Doesn't mean if the, and, and I think you should only use it if the text post is not able to get the emotion enough across, add that, you know, add that image to really elevate. And I still find myself like, you know, going for the selfie or going for a post with someone's picture in it just seems to constantly do better than, you know, an infographic or so forth. But I mean, Richard, you do great infographics and they do exceptionally well, but it seems like if there's even an image on it, even with the infographic, it just seems like the algorithm picks it up better um, or people just enjoy looking at people. It's not just about the algorithm. It, it's interesting because I haven't mentioned that. I, I am, I, it's actually like, like an experiment with the infographics. Hmm. Um, and I shared an infographic. It was the Wheel of Emotions from Chase Diamond. Hmm. Uh, I saw it on his profile on a Saturday or on a Friday. I saw he, he, he said like, okay, the wheel of 
emotions, 150 words that you can use to write better hooks. Okay. So that was literally his post. And he had this infographic where you had the wheel. And I saw it on a Friday, I saved the post. And then on a Sunday, because I post in the weekends as well, but I, I, I stay away from the in-depth content in the weekends. Okay. So in the weekends, I have like the lighter content. It could be like a selfie of me or something about a book I read or a post that I've seen. So I published like, Hey, this wheel of emotions really was something that I was like, wow, I saw it on Chase Diamond's profile. Here it is. And the infographic got like almost 3,000 likes. I mean, my infographic, the one from Chase got like 8,000 likes. And I think yesterday I published an infographic about the different social media platforms. And it appears that if you have an infographic that instantly provides value. So people see it and they get a lot of data from the infographic that you get a lot of engagement. So people are looking because I know we're all busy and instead of sliding through 20 slides on your carousel post, instead of watching a three minute video, if you have an infographic that is really a one pager, like a single image, this is how we consume content very easy. So also the carousel or the, or the infographic yesterday got like plus thousand likes already. So this is something I'm going to do more. So I'm actually now thinking like, okay, what can be the topics or three or four next infographics? Uh, because they work, they work like, they perform very well. So Richard, um, there's a lot of questions here and I'm going to try and bring it, um, bring it in. So one is just about infographics. So do you tend to like tag or share, share the URL of the post? Like when you, you know, when you share a infographic. So that was one of the questions. So, you know, do you tag the person that you got it from? If you, or do you, you know, share yeah, the yeah. post? Yeah. Okay. No, 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 no. I, no, I don't. I, I'm sorry. I'm not going to repost. I'm not going to reshare. Reshare means repost plus my own uh, uh, three lines. It doesn't work for the algorithm. So. Uh, am I aware of the algorithm? Yes. That's why I don't reshare posts because it will not give me and the original author the exposure I want. A repost gives additional audience to the original author, but it does not give a lot of additional uh, 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 visibility to my own profile. So what I want, I want that the author is known, okay, but I also want reach for myself. So what I've done here, I've copied the image. I just saved the image. I created a new post and I said, last Friday, I was really impressed with this post from Tag Chase Diamond about a wheel of emotions. If you want to write better hooks, this could be. So I tagged him. So his, my post with him as a source will go to my followers, but I create my own post. Got it. What about like then the notification, like is currently broken. So people are saying, you know, yes, you go tag someone. We want that person to be notified that, you know, you're being tagged. We're not getting now notifications, which can then impact our post because that person doesn't interact with our post, which has huge issues. So if you tag someone, guys, and then they don't interact with you, you shouldn't have tagged them in the first place. But now with the notification broken, that's a huge issue. Yeah. First of all, I don't know what's going on uh, because they're not broken. I mean, I just looked, I have 99 notifications since we started. They're not broken, but they're unstable. They are not reliable at the moment. So I get notifications. I get you have been mentioned, but I also get messages from somebody saying, hey, I mentioned you, you never responded. I said, I didn't get it. Another thing that is unstable at the moment, and that I, I notice in the 
performance of my content is the bell. Many people who have rang the bell on my profile are now saying like, Richard, I see you are publishing content. I don't get the notifications anymore. So there is something really bad happening with notifications. They are not reliable. So that's, that's a huge challenge, especially for content creators. On the other hand, I don't know about you, Melanie, but I get so many notifications a day. I can simply not keep up with the notifications. Um, Same. So my advice would be, if you are creating content and you are tagging like the original author, like I did with Chase Diamond, for mm. example, I did the same with a chat GPT carousel for Ruben Hasid. Before I do that, I send him a message and I say like, hey, Ruben, I really like your carousel chat GPT. I would like to like publish it on my own profile, mentioning you in the, in, in the original post. Is that okay? Yeah, that's okay. And then I publish the content and I send them a message and say, Ruben, it's out there. This is the link. So if you really want the engagement of a specific person you are mentioning in your post, because the notifications uh, are not reliable, just send them a message and say, hey, I just published it. This is the link. Make sure they see your post. Yeah. That's, that's the, the only, only way I do, by the way. That's the only way yeah. right now while well, it's, you know, it's playing up. Richard, next eight months coming up to end the year, um, what you've said that you're going to bring more infographics in just because you've seen this, you know, great response from it. What else are you planning to do? Because the matter of fact is, even if we're getting the same engagement and the same likes that we were last year, yes, if like I know views are not the main thing. We're after we're after conversion, but usually the way that the funnel works is when people see you, then they interact with you, and then one percent of the people or two percent of the people that see you are ready to buy from you. It's just like more. I think it's we're measuring a metric in order to get to the logic of you know there's a conversion here at the at the end of this. You know, I think that's why we always talk about you know if no one's seeing my stuff. How the I'm going to get lower conversion because one to two percent of the people are really ready for you. So, noting that in mind, where are you thinking? Like, how will you play in the next eight? You know, in the next eight months, is there things that you're thinking other than the infographic you mentioned already that you're going to bring in strategically to grow on LinkedIn? Yeah, yeah. what I what I want to do, and what we are currently working on with our team is for each ideal client profile. Again, sales on the one hand, market on the other hand. I want to have three very dense content pieces, long form content pieces. So when talking white papers, I'm talking ebooks. And that's the basic thing we want to do now, April, May. So um, one of the white papers actually is going to cover how to get the best alignment between marketing and sales in a modern B2B company. Okay, so it's a white book that we can, uh, it's a white paper that we can send to marketing decision makers, but also to sales decision makers. And then what we're going to do next, uh, for example, this white paper covers like 12, 14 IDs. And then what we're going to do next, we're going to create posts um, covering all the specific IDs and highlighting in one post, one ID. So what we're going to do is creating the long form content first and then reusing, repurposing the long form into like snackable content pieces, multi multi-channel, but also multi-format. So we're going to create a carousel. We're going to create a video. We're going to create whatever it is. So that's one of the things. And another thing 
Sorry, just to stop you, is it going to be the same yeah. content? Like, I just want to get this really clear because so many people go, I don't want to produce the same one. It's going to be the same concept in video, in carousel that you will push out, yeah. right? So just, I really want to yeah. clear this up and I want to hear this really clearly because a lot of people go, I've already talked about that. Why would I do it again in video? But I mean, do you guys okay, watch that's, Gary Vee? Like, let's no, just really cover but, that. But that. First of all, if people hear you saying the same message three times, you know, they will convert more easily than if they hear it once. Okay. So some people need to have a repetitive message before they act. Second, I know that is a, a very huge percentage of my followers or my ideal client approach. They are not watching video. Okay. So I can create a video and say, okay, I've covered that tip in my video. So I don't want to have a carousel about it. You're going to miss like 80% of your network. Okay. So for me. If I take one ID, for example, have a mutual brainstorm marketing and sales, I will create a carousel with some IDs on that specific topic. I also will create a video and probably I also will write, that, write about it in my email newsletter, for example. So the same message over multiple channels in different formats will bring much more results than covering one topic just one times in one format in one channel. Yeah, very important takeaway and I know for my team listening on sometimes they get a lot of people going I've already written about that two weeks ago now I don't want to do it in the video format it's it's really okay to re-message people don't remember what you said yesterday to be honest with you on social media they literally are like forget that you posted something a week ago like do you remember the last post you still like I can't even you know I can't even remember what I posted a week ago let alone what someone else posted a week ago so it's really about really understanding what the idea and that pain point is that you can solve and then repurposing it um, into different ways because we all like to consume content in different ways, different age groups, different demographics. We're really consuming differently. But it was interesting, Richard, you're saying you're going multi-channel um, and I saw a post from you recently that you are moving into um, Twitter as your as your second channel and is that something that, you know, you see as a, as you're maturing as a content creator that, you know, you've got your base right here. So you're maturing into a second, third phase of it. Or, and it's because I saw some people commented on that post that you did and they're like, no, I'm just coming back to one. It just didn't work for me. Some questions here um, from our guests saying, you know, can I take the videos into YouTube and just do the same thing? Could you share a little bit more about going multi? Yeah. So um, my Twitter account is a heritage from when we started our business in 2009 and we were like a broad social media training agency. So I had a Twitter account, I had Facebook, I had all the platforms. Um, and when we decided to 100% focus on LinkedIn in 2015, I got rid of almost all my channels. And the only thing I had and I kept was Twitter. Now, Twitter, I have mainly used over the past years to like Arrest like airline companies because they wouldn't like reimburse yeah, my tickets or, or, you know, just same. like, like using it like a, a customer set. But now, um, I am reusing it again, for example, to start repurposing my LinkedIn content. So I'm now posting more and more on Twitter also that comes from LinkedIn. Um, the biggest change that I have made this month is that. Um, after reading a lot about it, I, I, I've always been, I don't know why I've never been a big fan of email 
newsletters. I've never been a big fan, basically because I almost don't read any, any emails and I, I've unsubscribed to like hundreds of them. But um, more and more people said to me, like Richard, with a follower base of 100,000 on LinkedIn, if something happens, you know, you're on, pay, uh, on, on, on rented ground. And if you have them also as email subscribers, you can like reinforce your LinkedIn activities um, and, and you can really profit from them. So I've started now with an email newsletter. The first one goes out next Monday. Um, and I just, this is also some trial and error, man. You have seen probably now under my latest four or five posts, PS, if you want to know all, if you want to receive all your LinkedIn and social selling tips in your email, sign up for. And I have now over a thousand subscribers. I haven't published one single email yet. It's going out on Monday. But I see that if you provide value and you have built trust on LinkedIn, so people know that it's not clickbait, it's like real value, that they are signing up very, very, very quickly. Um, what I haven't done yet, but it's definitely on my to-do list. Like I have now published about 10 Couch Talk with Richard videos. And yes, I need to publish them on a YouTube channel. I need to just bring them to like all together on a YouTube channel because like we all know YouTube, Google, it's good for your indexation. You can tag the videos, you can find the videos and you can also cross refer to LinkedIn. So my multi-channel approach will be LinkedIn force with an email newsletter and revamping Twitter and, and just having a YouTube channel where all my video content is like centralized. Yeah, that's awesome. I have been doing the email thing, like I committed to it 12 months ago. And I think you can definitely do really well, especially in the space you're playing in. The corporates, they are obsessed with emails, like all the corporates, they don't go on social. So if that's your target market, they're constantly, you know, internally, anything 40,000 staff or 10,000 staff, they're just email focused. My learning also on email was if you are doing like longer form email, like if you're doing really, truly thought leadership and it's going for like 400 words and not just short bullet point, you can just copy and paste that straight into a blog. Like you don't even have, like the subject line can be your title and you just copy and paste that in. So your resource is just sitting there and yeah, actually becomes, it's the easiest thing. So, you know, if you go into emails that are longer form, I played with both long and short to see, you know, because different people like different things, you know, but I really think, um, you know, if you can move your base from LinkedIn and your the people that your ICP is reading emails, it's a really nice, you know, touch point. Like they don't just want to see you sometimes on LinkedIn because they don't have the time to go and socially check. And yeah, you might not be appearing on their feed because they're there for like four seconds and then they're out, you know? So exactly, LinkedIn's there to, like email is there to guarantee that it actually hits their inbox and then you can see who's reading um, like after, yeah. So I, I think I really enjoy it. And I enjoy the clicks that you understand who's interested in LinkedIn algorithm, who's interested in improving their email game. Like you can kind of really get a lot more data from your database and, you know, who knows if LinkedIn's not one day, like delivering, you've got some, this other database that you can consistently go to and provide value. Oh, but that's, that's also because I saw, I saw a question in the chat because obviously LinkedIn also has newsletters and I have one. Yes. Uh, and I have right. about, I have not. I have about, I don't know, plus 20,000 subscribers there. And it started from zero because if you start a LinkedIn newsletter, you yes. start with zero subscriber. It's not that your connections automatically are subscribed to your newsletter. That's not the case. 
So I have 20,000 subscribers on LinkedIn. But Still, did you, I'm going for email. Did you, but did you see yeah. now what LinkedIn does? When they connect with you, as soon as they connect with you, if you have a you, newsletter, they straight away say, subscribe to my newsletter. So you can just consistently grow that from that point on. Yeah. It's smart. Yeah they, ha- they, yeah, they have optimized that process Feature. because um, I remember, I don't know because... I launched my newsletter, like I was one of the first people, at least in, 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 in Europe to have access to the newsletter for the first time I was in a, in, in a beta. So I have it like more than two years and I couldn't invite my, uh, I, I, I couldn't invite my, my network. Now I know that if you, uh, publish a newsletter, you also can take a box where you can say like, okay, invite my connection to subscribe. And like you said, every new connection automatically um, um, gets like a notification like, hey, this, this connection has a newsletter. Do you want to subscribe? The thing I do not like about news in, uh, uh, LinkedIn newsletter is just what you explained. I don't have any data. Who is yes. clicking on what link? What? And I want to have that data also to optimize my content. Yeah, I think you're going to really enjoy it because one of the best practices I've put in that I can give you a tip on is for any email that you put out, like you should have two um, clicks that you take them somewhere. That yep. it can go to your video, it can go to back to your LinkedIn. It's it could be just like just deepening that email, and it really gets you then an understanding of if no one clicked on it, no one's interested in that topic. You know, no one, and it's not to sell anyone something. It's like really for you to understand the same way that you understand analytics on LinkedIn. So I really always say best practice if you're going into email too. Um, so in my, Richard going, we're coming to the end and we've got 23 more questions that we will, um, try and touch on. I wanted to get into content creation, um, and your method of content creation, because a lot of people have asked about it. What I'm really focused on is how do you create content that gets reshared? So the challenge that I'm putting to the team, to my team is, when you're lettering a client go through and share their thought, and then they're saying, this is my, you know, this is my pain point that this thought will cover. This is who my ICP is. And then they submit that. And we've got a whole platform now where we're forcing clients that every time you have a thought, you you are allowed to drop that thought, but there is a filter that says, how will this actually benefit the audience? And you must answer that. Otherwise, it's not going to go into your ideas board. So we're really trying to filter them. But then I've put another filter on my team and I've said, when you get this content back and it's, you know, gone through a ghostwriter, gone through a designer, I really want you to really look yourself in the eye and say, would I reshare this on my, on my LinkedIn? Or if I was their ICP, would I reshare this? Because it was so valuable. It was so thought provoking. It was so much depth in it. So I'm putting this, you know, really, I think this is how you measure quality, but I see your posts get a lot of shares because it is truly, you know, when you really hit it, it's like a lot of people go, I want to share this because, and maybe it's not just on LinkedIn, they're taking that, you know, URL of that post and maybe they're dropping it in Slack. So there is a lot of dark social happening, but I want my team to be like, Hey, don't just look at the vanity metrics, but would you naturally go, Hey, to someone and go take a look at this, you know, like there's so many times I've taken your podcast and shared it to someone. Hey, you want to know more about the algorithm? Here's this. Or you want to know more about conversions? Here's this. Like it's shareable. You know, I'm proud to share that P 
piece of content. So what would be your method when you're, you've kind of said, you know, I come up with ideas and then I look at, look at, um, the performance and results. Is there any other filters that you use? And is it a gut instinct, you know, that you go, I think yeah, this yeah, is going to do well. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was just thinking and maybe you saw me thinking because to be honest, I create 80% of my content pure on instincts, pure. I, I feel that this is a topic that resonates. I can see things happening. Um, or I, I found out like a tactic that works for me, like a new thing. I tried it worked and I go like, Hey, I need to share this with the world because if it works for me, it works for others. Um, there, there is a thing that you need to ask uh, about reshares because obviously posts like infographics, mm. easy to get dips. You can see it now with all the chat GPT posts, all these chat GPT carousels, they get massively reshared because we all want to be the good messenger that like helps our network with, hey, this is what you need to know about. But if I'm going to create a post for my ideal client profile, which is called the four pitfalls of implementing social selling successfully, I know for sure that the post is not going to be reshared, at least not by my clients, because no sales director is going to reshare a post that is called the four pitfalls of implementing social selling, because then it's like he almost recognizes like, hey, this is my problem. And he doesn't want to do that. So there might be content where the silent community, so those yeah. people who never respond, never engage, they're not connected with you. They might absorb it, they might read, but they simply not engage and definitely not sharing it. So you have snackable, easy, insightful content that gets a lot of reshares, which is good for your views. But the really in-depth, the most converting content of mine is not shareable. It's right. like, it's right. a pain point, okay? Right. So you might send me a DM and say like, hey, that was an awesome post. We have the same things happening here but it's all in the DMs or in the one-on-one -on -one communication. So that's also you need, it's also something you need to think right. about. Well, yeah, no, that, thank you for sharing your thought leadership on that because sometimes you get carried away going, are you resharing? But maybe it's another metric is, well, will someone DM about it going, you really get me. You really hit, hit exactly DMs what I'm facing. In, yeah, analytics. So in my analytics, and they don't come in Shield, they don't come in LinkedIn, and it's something I do manually. But I'm always aware of how many DMs from new people do I get that refer to a specific type of content. Richard, I saw your latest post about marketing and sales alignment. Uh, really cool. I want to connect. And if that comes from a marketing or a sales like uh, decision maker, then I know like, okay, this resonates with my target audience. So there, there are different KPIs, you know, that, memory, that, that, that all need to be taken into account to create like... True. Like a yes. very successful content strategy. Correct. Just looking at reshares. And I mix that. Yeah. And I mix that. So you see like, for example, one video a week, you see one carousel, you see an infographic, maybe you see like uh, a very short post with my ideas. So I, I, I am really aware of mixing the content. You will not see five consecutive carousels in five days. You will not see five videos. I'm mixing that to see like, okay, how is this performed? But also to make sure that the people that prefer to watch videos, they have one content item a week. People that like my carousels, they have one or two items a week. Yeah, absolutely. And I think everyone, again, you have to find your own in this. Like we've got other 
influencers who just do videos and they're very successfully doing that. Like, you know, it's really personal. It's a personal brand for a reason. It's about, it's about you finding your personal, what's going to resonate for you. So it can't be just because Richard's doing it, it's going to work for you. I like to mix my content, but I also, you know, respect what I enjoy doing as well. So just really make sure like, you know, just because it's working for someone, it doesn't mean it's necessarily going to work for you. You have to personalize it. So I'm going to be, my last question before I move to all the questions, there's many of them, was you are batching your content. I know you've batched your videos, you said earlier, that, you know, you shot them all together and then you pushed them out. What about your other content? You know, are you, are you like, how often are you grabbing your thoughts? I guess, you know, are you pushing, like, just walk me through that process. So thoughts coming to you, idea comes to you, put it in your notes, in your phone or somewhere, scribble it down. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have always a pen and paper next to me. I'm really traditional guy. So mm-hmm. I just have like a, a piece of paper next to me. And whenever I'm like, the most ideas I get on LinkedIn content is when I scroll my feed. That's the yeah. only reason why I keep scrolling my feed. It's not to see the posts that I really want to see because then I have another system. But to get inspired, it's like going through my feed. Second, all the questions that I get in email from clients, if I get like two, three questions on the same topic, I write it down because I need to address a post on that. So my post and inspiration comes daily and I have a paper, I have an app where I put them down. And every day I spend about 20 to 30 minutes about like creating content or so. So it's not that I have like a specific day in the week or a specific day in the month where I create 10, 15 posts. The only reason I did that with video was that uh, I had this video expert guy, Thomas Slotbaum, coming to Valencia yeah. to shoot a video. So that's why we did like one day and we did like, I don't know, 25 videos. Yeah. But normally all my content is very fresh and it has yes. been like written like the day before or, or, or maximum two, three days before. Got it. Got it. And... With the videos, are you concerned that some of your thoughts are not going to be relevant then anymore by the time yep. it comes to distribution yep. because you've overshot? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's the fear I yep. always have as well if you sometimes don't do evergreen content there. You know, I, 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 I created a video about a common strategy. We haven't spoken about that, Melanie, but mm. it's hugely important. So if you talk yes. about content on LinkedIn, the common strategy is a huge part of it because I've seen people that might struggle with producing like relevant content themselves, but they have an awesome content strategy and a common strategy. strategy. And if you comment, yeah. And if you provide insightful, relevant comments, you attract a lot of attention also from your ideal client profile and you will gain a lot of new followers. So one of the videos was about this common strategy. And I said, there is this great feature. It's called pinned comment. You can find it here. You can use it. And the pinned comment, it's gone. So I cannot publish the video anymore because it, it mentioned like the pinned comment. So oh. this is what happens if you create content on a specific feature, on a specific strategy, and then decides to like kill yeah. or have a new feature. So I've shot in December 25, I've published 10, and I know that at least five I cannot use anymore. Yeah, that's what happens if you do too far in advance, the batching, yeah. I've noticed. So you can't go too far, but you can... If you're time poor, which you lo- a lot of you said, it's a great strategy. But yeah, some of your content will be unfortunately not usable, which, you know. Um, so I'm going to be moving to 
into questions now from the floor. We've been going in and getting your questions and um, actually I've been asking it on the way. Very difficult on Zoom. Like I've got um, Therun over there trying to help us, but it's just not as easy as we thought this would be. So I'm going to be going through and just um, picking them up and discussing them as I kind of see them. So sorry if we miss you, but I'll try my best. So um, what is the downside of not connecting? I get numerous requests daily, but rarely connect because I want to keep my network like I've always used it since 2008, but I'm just not sure, you know, if I should be connecting with more okay. people. Yeah. Yeah. My advice would be yes, because if people say LinkedIn is a quality network only, I don't agree. If people say LinkedIn is about getting as much follow, as much connection as possible, I don't agree. It's the balance you need to find between quantity and quality. If you want to use LinkedIn for lead generation to grow your business, you need more connections. You cannot stick with a strategy where you say, hey, I need to have shoot hands with somebody. I need to know this person already two years before I accept. It's not going to work. I actually changed my strategy back in 2013. Until then, all my connections, I've met in person. I know who they are. I could call them and they would know who I am. To salespeople, I always say, try to sell through your network and not to your network. Because salespeople normally say like, I only want to have connections that could be potential clients. So if I had a colleague and he moves to a competitor, I'm going to delete a connection. But in deleting in connection or in not accepting in connection, you're also deleting the, the, the reach in your second and third degree, okay? So the insights in the database, the ability to identify your ideal client profile becomes more easily if you have more connections, okay? So just find yourself a decent, uh, ju just have your own criteria, but don't let it be that I need to have met this person in real life. I need to know because I'm not going to bring you anywhere. That's my opinion. I agree. I think what you want to have is, I think what Richard was trying to say, if you get a lot of connections, you can have a VA when and give them the criteria to, this is what I want to accept. I mean, someone, you know, if, if you're not, but you need to have a really clear criteria. I used to have a really, really um, strong criteria back before where I was like, I'm only going to connect with these kind of locations. I'm not going to connect with anything outside of that, but I've had to become more relaxed because the world is changing very, very quickly. And there is talent and cool people everywhere. So I think that there is actually going in and looking at their profile and looking at their content is a criteria that I have put in, which is extra effort. But that person could be really, really, you know, um, someone that's going to comment, engage and boost my visibility up. And sometimes you need those super fans and not connecting with those people if you're playing the content game is probably not a smart game. Okay. Next one, tips about LinkedIn SEO, you know, hashtags. So Richard, hashtags, I mean, we've seen a little bit of debate. I think I even saw it recently where I've said sometimes, you know, I don't see like some of my most viral posts have never had hashtags in them, but I guess I had really great tags in those posts. But you've said that you've had 20% increase when you've used hashtags um, in your posts. So where are you sitting on that right now? with hashtags and SEO? I, uh, I'm not, regardless the the algorithm, I'm not really convinced 
anymore about the added value of hashtags because it's taken LinkedIn too long to prove to us the value of hashtags. I mean, it would make sense that if I follow a hashtag, for example, lead generation, that I would see more posts in my feed that talk about lead generation. It's not happening. It's not happening. Um, I had very good results with my personal hashtag. I'm talking about the pre-Bell era, okay? So I created a personal hashtag, LinkedIn by Richard Vanderblom. I used it in all my posts like a code. And I, I, I said to people, okay, click on the hashtag, follow it. And then if you click on it, you can see all my posts. This worked very well. And this got me like 20, 30% more engaged. Mm. But at the moment, I really am not convinced about the added value of hashtags on LinkedIn or in your post. I mean, even the five hashtags you put on your, on your profile from right. Creatable, they're not clickable. I mean, it doesn't make sense. You put the hashtag, they're not clickable. I, it doesn't make sense for me. I mean, and there's so many hashtags that are actually not clickable that people are putting in that LinkedIn doesn't even recognize, right? It's, it's crazy. But I remember, um, I know one of my clients are here and we posted and he wasn't getting the engagement. He said, Richard said, you haven't put the hashtags in. And that's what it was. He must be sitting there laughing because we were like thinking, we've got to ask Richard, you know, um, this was like a couple of months ago. So, and I was like, you know what? This hashtag thing, like whenever I use it or don't use it, I'm not, I can't, I can't say per se, but yes, you know, if the content's good, it just hits. And I think if you get good creators to come in and like really interact, like commenting strategy, um, by the way, commenting strategy was how for Jasmine Alec, when I had him, he was like the, you know, king of comments. He was just like, for every one post he's like, you know, he said three comments, but I think he does way more. I reckon he does mm-hmm. 50 comments per mm-hmm. like one post and he's got a whole schedule throughout the day where he's like mm-hmm. commenting 50 times. Are you doing something similar? No. To that degree? No. Uh, no. What I do whenever I post, uh, just before I publish and just after I stick, I stick around for 10 minutes. Yeah. So I open LinkedIn, I look at my feed. I have a bookmark where I can find all my content creators. So I, I'm not depending on that feed. So I click my bookmark. There are all the posts of my content creators. Like, and, and you know the names. No, Jasmine is there. Ashra thought it there. Richard Moore is there. And yeah. I and engage with the latest post. Then I publish. Then I stick around five more minutes, 10 more minutes to respond to the first comments my own post gets. And then I move on. Got it. Um, so I'm not that like, uh, how do you say this? Uh, organized like Jasmine is. But, you know, Jay has a very... Jay and uh, there's another guy, Craig David. They are like the king of the recaps, king of the comments. Yeah, but that's a really great strategy you shared. Like use the bookmarks feature and then it's right there and it's easy. So if you guys didn't pick that up, pick that up there's something called bookmarks in your LinkedIn where you can bookmark particular content creators. And then I guess you just go over there and all their, all their content is coming up for you easily to be able to comment. So you're not having to digest the news feed, which can be crazy out there. Okay, what else have we got here? Um, okay, we've covered the hashtag. Uh, okay, repurposing content. I think we've kind of covered into that. Um, LinkedIn newsletters, or should I use another platform like emails? Where should I distribute, you know, um, should I use LinkedIn newsletters or not? Well, first of all, I think LinkedIn newsletters is a great way to like uh, categorize your your long-form content on LinkedIn, okay? Because articles 
that are not part of a newsletter, they get very poor results, okay? Because LinkedIn is not boosting them. So if you want to start a newsletter on LinkedIn, because you have like the frequency you can maintain, I, I would definitely suggest you to go and to start a LinkedIn newsletter because LinkedIn is going to boost it to all your new connections. And um, you're publishing content on the platform where your, your, your audience is already, okay? Um, so I'm, I'm, I am a big fan of LinkedIn newsletters compared to the old traditional articles. Yeah, that's fair the enough. Only thing, the only thing I'm now looking forward is I want to have more statistics. I want to have more insights. And that is currently not supported by LinkedIn. And that's also because I want to be less dependent on LinkedIn itself as it is like rented ground. That's why I move to an email newsletter. But I will maintain my LinkedIn newsletter as well. Yeah, yeah. I think also not everyone has enough, I think, expertise or there's not enough, What? how can I say it? Not everyone's interested in particular topics to digest it in LinkedIn newsletter. So I've sometimes found people are doing LinkedIn newsletters and it's like, it's just not really something that people go, I really crave that content. So just be really thoughtful, you know, could you bet, are you better off just doing the bite-sized pieces? Would it serve you better? Because it does take time to produce this and people might be like, oh, this newsletter is like kind of, uh, you know, it's a bit like too techy or too, too detailed. So have a think. Um, I'm going to keep punching through these questions, LinkedIn. And so I'll try and get really quick into them. So 900 words text post, is that too long? I think we kind of said, yeah. yes, move into carousel, right? Um, yeah. Um, okay. Lots and lots on news. What is, okay. Covered the connection thing. So 31 questions. Let's see. What else have we got? Does LinkedIn premium make a difference in reach? Officially, no. Okay. How to find this bookmark section that has been mentioned before? The, the, there is, there is, the bookmark is in your browser. So um, what I do, I go to LinkedIn. I go to a post. I can I, I can share my screen. No, we can do a, yeah. a one minute yeah. demo. No, sure. I think you should be oh, able. Oh, here to. we go. Yep, you can see my screen now. See, here we go. I'm looking for posts. So search box posts, and then you have from member. So now I said Melanie Francis, for example, and I say let's say uh, uh, Richard Moore. Just as an example, so I bookmark. You can up, you can hear, you can save up to thirty people. If you do more than thirty, it gives you an error. So you can make a list of your thirty preferred content creators. I put this, very important, show results. Then I put this on date posted past week. So there is like time frame. Okay, now I have asked, give me all the posts of Richard Moore and Melanie Francis over the last week. And now I simply go to a bookmark in my browser and say, okay, create a bookmark for this page. Oh. And what I need to do now, now every week, I click on the bookmark and I get all the posts of the last week from these members. And I've done this for all my colleagues in our own company. So all my 14 colleagues, they're in a bookmark. I've done it for uh, top content creators. I've done this for top social sellers. And I've also done it for my top 30 clients. So I have four bookmarks and by checking them, I stay on top of all the news that they are producing. Got it. How, yep. how do you balance value-adding content versus, versus sales-based uh, content? 
Yeah, there is, there is no distinction for me. I don't have value-based conversion. My value-based content is my most converting content, okay? So I do not speak about my trainings. I do not speak about my services. I only speak about my knowledge. And by doing though, by giving them insights, by giving them new uh, tactics, new strategies, I hope they become like curious enough to ask like, okay, if you publish this for free on LinkedIn, what is it that we get with you if we pay you? That's, that's my strategy. So I have no distinction between the two. I think what sometimes is like we call for, hey, subscribe to my newsletter. That's like sales based. I think you put that into your value-based content, like PS, Yep. do this. Yep. Justin Walsh sometimes has said like he will build up to ask for anything. Like it might take him, you know, he might build up for six months to ask for something big. So if he hasn't asked for something for a while, like he might actually do a post, but he, it, he will build up to it. So not very, it's always give, 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 ask. It could be like once a month where you could say, look, I'm doing, I want to build up and, you know, get you sign up to my newsletter. It could be a post just on that, but everyone's got a different strategy. I think what Rich is saying is he will build, he'll give value and then he will, you'll literally put in to a PS. And how would you put that PS into every post or like, you know, maybe the question no. more like how often, like you'll give, 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 and then all of a sudden have that PS come up then. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I would do that with like, I don't know, 20, 30% of my posts. It also depends on what you have to give. I mean, Justin Welch has his online course and he has different upsells. And it's very easy to put like an upsell in like every fifth post. Like, okay, mm -hmm. if you want to know more about it, here's the link you can buy. We don't upsell a product that is very easy to buy. I mean, we, we deliver like programs. So it's not that I'm going to say, hey, you get like a 10% discount if you give me like 50,000 euros of your money now. It's not going to happen. But if you have snackable, easy to buy products, it's more, it's, it's also more easy to, to build them in your content strategy. Well, I've ran two minutes over. So that's a wrap. Um, thank you so much for joining in. Let us know what your biggest takeaway was before you leave us. Like drop it into chat, like what you loved the most. It will really help me and Richard out to know what you enjoyed the most so we can build more content around that. This will be released as a podcast. So this is the first one I've done as a live event that will also go into a podcast. So if you want to re-listen to some of the parts, it will be released as a both video and audio. So, you know, don't fret if you didn't get everything down. I know there was a lot um, to take in. We didn't get into ChatGPT here because, you know, I did ask um, Richard, hey, did you want to talk about ChatGPT? And he was like, oh, I'm just so overseeing that stuff. So um, tomorrow, if you are interested in learning more about ChatGPT and how to create content on ChatGPT, I'm actually catching up with Laura on that, Laura Edmund. So you can come in and drop in to that. My final thing is, hey, Richard, I really want to thank you and I really want to join Tribe. Okay, because I've it's I've joined Optima cool. with our friend Andy Fort. And my next thing is join join what you're up to and just get into the community. You're welcome. So um tell tell just give me how do I join and what do I get like, you know, for joining? Because I really want to be part of, you know, the top communities. Okay. If you join a tribe, it's my paid community. We talk about LinkedIn and actually all the strategies to grow your business. So it's not purely LinkedIn. Um, we have about 150 members now. You pay $90 a month or I think $960 a year. You get 
three live online sessions a month. Uh, um, one or two by me, one or two by other external experts. We've spoken about GPT. We've spoken about email marketing. We've spoken about thought leadership on LinkedIn. We've spoken about Sales Navigator. If you join now, you get also access to all the previous recordings, slides. I'm talking about 30 plus sessions. Um, you can become a member of a Slack channel. Um, well, yeah, you have access to all the good values. So um, it, it, for me, it's a no-brainer. Everybody, I say like, okay, even if you pay now $90, you get access to all the previous recordings since August. I mean, 30 plus masterclasses. And hey, if you want to leave after the first month, you can have seen them all and you go. But um, the really, really value is in the community. The people that have been there from the start, I'm talking about 100 people that have been there from August last year. We have a very strong community. So you have a 24-7 help desk of 100 people next to you where you can ask your questions and they are happy to respond to you. So yeah, it would be awesome if you join Melanie. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to like really doing more groups and community stuff with all you LinkedIn gurus and just getting more into it. So I look forward to being there. Um, we have dropped the link. Cool. So if you guys want to join the tribe, you know, you can even just do it for a month and see if it's for you, which I think is really, exactly. really, really cool. So if you want to hear more from the experts, um, yeah, join Richard's community. I'll be, I'll be there. So Thanks, everyone. That's the end. Thank you so much, Richard. It's always been awesome. Love catching up with you and look forward to releasing it. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. You are listening to Innovative Minds.